0: For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. So, I did something during my summer vacation a few years ago that I wasn't planning on doing. I binged on a show on HBO, maybe you've heard of it, called Game of Thrones. All eight seasons. (laughs) The reason I mention this is because the sequel or the prequel to Game of Thrones just aired last week, and I had to ask myself, do I need to watch this show, and if so, why? Why? Because marketing might be telling me I need to, perhaps. I don't know. I don't, and, I, and I don't know why I chose to binge on this show when I did. Because I don't usually have a whole lot of time to watch TV. And I wanted to see what all the fuss was about. So I watched it. One episode, then another, then another. And I kept watching to see why it had been so popular until I was hooked. I was hooked for all eight seasons. My family thought I was crazy. They're like, why are you watching that? And then I had to answer to myself, too. Why am I watching it? Why am I so hooked? What was it that kept me coming back? I mean, the acting was good. The sets and the costumes were amazing. And the special effects were pretty good, too. But there was a ton of violence that was, that was really hard to take. So why did I watch it? So, you know, I used to work in the, the film business, so I sometimes I look at things like this in a different way. And I, I look at films and I try to see what's in it that like, why what, Why is this important or why, why culturally is this important? And so as I read this week's uh, scripture readings, I, I kind of had to contemplate the why all over again. Why did I spend so much time watching this show? Now, if you didn't if you don't know the show, that's okay because I'm going to give you a little backstory. The story revolved around a constant play for power. And who was going to rule this kingdom who was going to rule that kingdom who was going to be the king who was going to be the queen who was going to ultimately roll uh, rule all of the kingdoms together what powerful family was going to hang on to power or gain power that had been lost and sure you know there were dragons you know and there were mystical powers and and believe me all of the seven deadly sins on active display there was palace intrigue and romance but but what kept me coming back as i thought about this was the eagerness to see the bad people and there were plenty of them was to see the bad people get their comeuppance and i waited for that <laughs> episode after episode after episode because they were just nasty. So I kept watching because I was so angry at the bad people. The bad people were the ones who chose to to grab a power in any way possible, not caring about those under them, demanding loyalty at any cost. And they were were the ones who rewrote the rules of honor and who had no patience for diverse opinion. And they were the ones who destroyed the innocent and the vulnerable in order to keep their own power. Sometimes they did this simply as a matter of pride, because they could. And then the good people, the good people who struggled for peace and for fairness and for love, they had to fight very hard, sometimes extra hard it seemed, and there was no guarantee that, uh, that, they, that they would succeed. And they were often squashed and, you know, of course they were the underdogs, but I found myself rooting episode after episode for their success, getting, getting super frustrated when they were cheated or outwitted because of the selfishness or arrogance of those who ruled. And you know, the writers are very, very clever because, you know, you usually have to wait until the very end of the series for the hero or the heroine to win. So you're just like, oh, come on, come on. Watching this show, you really got the gist of how evil the abuse of power, power at any cost is, especially put on the backs of the vulnerable and the innocent. And a good TV show or film is not without redemption. As I said, I worked in the film business, so I always look for those things that speak theologically. Even if it's not a religious film or a religious show, you can, you can find those things that, that can speak to um, uh, what we believe as Christians. So we look for redemption. We expect it, or we won't watch. We root for it, and we're satisfied when it comes. Um, And if redemption doesn't eventually come, then we walk away very unfulfilled and quite frankly mad and we'll say, oh, that was a terrible film. Redemption cannot come unless humility is somehow displayed when perpetrators of evil are eventually humbled. We crave redemption in our entertainment and I often like to talk about Uh, the superhero films, the Marvel superhero films that are out there, and they've been making uh, so much money over the past couple of decades, and they've become so popular, huge, huge. And, you know, you have to think about that and go, why are these films so popular? Could it be that we crave a hero? And as it turns out, the success of the Marvel films started to happen right after 9-11. And that's when they started to come out. And, you know, as we look at it now, we look and say, okay, why do we need a hero? You know, there's always in these films a really bad villain who wants to rule the world at any cost or worse. They want to destroy the world. And, of course, a hero or heroine with superpowers comes and saves the day. Because, you know, we, as mere mortals, we can't do it on our own. So we want a hero in our lives. And and I believe that these films are a response to this need, if only for a couple of hours, because we get to see the good guy win, or good gal win. So these film heroes usually overcome some tragedy or diversity. Often they've been humbled and they inherit some sort of physical power, a superpower, which transforms them to adopting a moral courage which propels them to serve, and they ultimately do extraordinary acts to save humanity. So that's kind of like a little side discussion. Um, but the point is, is that humility is not a virtue for villains. And it doesn't seem to be a virtue in Jesus' day. So I ask myself, is humility a virtue in our day? Do those in power strive for humility and trust in humility's inherent power? Humility is a sign of weakness for most, but for Jesus, for Jesus, it is a superpower. Humility is a superpower because humility, according to one scholar, is a power that does not need recognition or position in order to serve In fact, humility is the engine that drives us to serve, because when we are humble, we recognize that we are all in this together, and we've got to work together. So Jesus today teaches humility, as he often does, with a story. He tells a parable. So... Picture this. It's a Sabbath dinner at the home of a leader of the synagogue. It's a prestigious event. So the people there were probably very important people. And as they are all choosing where where they are going to sit, probably eking out the best place to be for this dinner, Jesus walks in, interrupts by chastising them. You know, it's super arrogant and prideful to do what you are doing, I can hear Jesus say. Here, let me tell you why. Can you see it? Everybody's stopping with their mouths open agape, thinking, who invited him to the party? And why is he here telling us this annoying story, ruining our dinner? Who does he think he is? But he tells this story as a warning. If you choose the highest seat, thinking you deserve it more than others, or by stepping over others at any cost, watch out. Watch out. You may just find yourself being removed. And how will that feel? How will it feel to have that fall from grace? Now the irony here is that this this would force humility, right? But if you sit at the lowest place, you just may be invited to move up higher. Remember last week we talked about grace. Grace in this instance is kind of like getting an upgrade from God like getting upgraded to business class for no reason, (laughs) and how amazing that will be. Jesus is trying to direct us toward living a grace-filled life so we don't have to fall from grace, not being forced into a humble position. Here's the undercurrent too. Chances are, If you see yourself sitting at the highest seat without respecting those below you, how soon will it be before you exalt yourself so high as to sit on the ultimate throne, thinking you are on par with God? And that's ultimately what Jesus is getting at here because once that happens, it's a short road before you will believe that you don't need God. Because you alone are God. You alone can fix it, right? You alone hold the ultimate power. Humility means that we give authority to a higher power. It means we acknowledge this higher power as not of our own making. It's why we kneel. It's why we come here on Sundays and we bow and we kneel in worship. We give deference to God as the true authority. Humility isn't weakness, it is a power that is exercised wisely. Being humble means that we don't aggrandize, we don't speak over, we don't assume we are higher than the other. Humility involves understanding others, being in a position to listen. It requires openness, observation, and the courage to empathize, and to ultimately live with compassion. In fact, as, as we talk about many times, if we break down the word compassion itself, we find that it means to suffer with, and that is what Jesus is asking us to do. Not to be martyrs, but to sit with others in their pain and in their sorrow and in their grief, in their joys, their everyday stuff, and to not exalt ourselves as superior above the fray. Humbling ourselves is working and seeing and speaking through Christ. After all, we believe in Jesus who humbled himself on the cross, right? And our theology and our Christian belief demands that we follow a God of humility. One who models humility so that our, our hearts can be transformed and the world will be saved from the villains who wish to destroy rather than to create, who wish to tear down instead of build up, whose sense of power is not a serving power, but a usurping power. Jesus warns that we cannot trample on or whiz past or ignore those who are perceived as lower than us. That's not a vision for the kingdom that will ultimately work. Vying for power and control is risky. It's risky business. But humility will always keep us grounded. Having a powerful position is not a bad thing. It's just we have to look at how we are using that power. I don't want to ignore the important message we hear in the letter to the Hebrews today. And and this epistle tells us that when we are humble, we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? So when we exalt ourselves, And we simply tolerate others below us especially those who are different from us and this does not lead to the superpowers of understanding and compassion ultimately we must replace tolerance with the practice of hospitality and compassion in this way we humble ourselves to identify with those who suffer those who are different those who are uh, considered the least among us we trust that the Lord is our helper and when we do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, we imitate Jesus. And by doing so, we never know. We never know. We, we just may find ourselves entertaining angels. We just may find ourselves cast in a binge-worthy life series where redemption comes more easily and more readily. Amen.